Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Happy Father's Day to all of you. You don't want to wish me Happy Father's Day? Oh, thanks. I was so hurt. I'll save these. My name is Max Hill. I am a former pastor of Clarksburg Baptist Church. Uh, I am also a, an area minister for the West Virginia Baptist Convention, and I am more than happy to be here with you today. It is my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. I want to read in your scripture, in your hearing, a piece of scripture from the book of Exodus. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 18. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord says to, said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you together with these brothers and sisters. Thank you for being with us and for speaking to us. Help us to hear whatever it is that you have for us. And then grant us the courage and the strength of will 
to obey what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. I like to watch the Food Network, okay? It shouldn't surprise you that a fat man watches the Food Network. But it's not only the cooking stuff that I watch. I really am fascinated by the logistics of what it takes to feed this country and how in the world you get it from wherever it's produced to us. The amount of food that Americans consume is staggering. Did you know, for instance, that we eat 11.7 pounds of chocolate per year? 260 pounds of meat per person per year? They say that of that 260 pounds per person, there are 27 chickens consumed by every individual American. I guess you take the preachers out of the survey, it drops to about 10 or 12. <laughs> the logistics of feeding this country fascinate me. And when I read this story, the logistics of feeding that Israelite community seems overwhelming to me. Two million people carrying everything they own on their backs with every animal that is attached to their household are wandering somewhat aimlessly, it seems, in the desert. The desert of sin. Well, okay, it's really the desert of sin, but it just sounds so good and you want to make a sermon out of it when you talk about the desert of sin. Today's scripture reveals that those people were hungry. Now, please understand, it's not the kind of hunger that will aggravate you if I go too long this morning or if your Sunday school teacher does later. It's not the same urge that causes us to stop after the game and grab a hamburger somewhere. They were on the 15th day of the second month since they left Egypt, more or less 45 days out. And by now, their food supplies had dwindled to nothing. And they were hungry, seriously hungry, to the point that their children, no doubt, were asking them at night, why is there nothing to eat? And crying themselves to sleep. It was the kind of hunger that drove them to grumble against Moses and Aaron and ultimately against God. The wilderness is a hard place. And theirs was a hard life. All of us are destined to wander in the wilderness, in the desert from time to time. For some, that wandering seems to go on and on and on. You all know Celebrate Recovery. It's part of your ministry in this community. I think about those who are addicted to one thing or another, who have such tremendous difficulty writing the ship of their lives and moving forward. Many of them know what they're doing and they either don't know how to do anything about it or they're simply unable to do what they need to do. Others of us pass through the wilderness to a temporary, to a lesser degree. The student who seeks to find some sense of vocational calling is akin to the worker 
who finds no satisfaction on the job and who has no prospects of another job. How many of us know elderly people? By the way, I'm getting there. I'll join you shortly. How many of us know elderly people who remember when the world was young and the future was full of hope and all kinds of endless possibilities who have now come to a place where they find the world closing in around them and their choices narrowing. Did you know that even churches go through wilderness experiences? David and Joni have concluded their ministry among you and moved on. Yes, I'm going to talk about it. After 33 years, that's an astounding amount of time for a person to serve in a single church. And in part because of the length of time that it is, many of you find yourselves today wondering, where are we headed? What will we do? Who will feed us? How can we survive? I want you to know that there is hope. Hope in the wilderness. We read hope throughout all of this long passage that I read in your hearing a few minutes ago. It's about hope. And one of the things that it says to me is this. God will supply our needs. Even though they'd come to near rebellion against Moses, look to their slave days with unwarranted fondness and ultimately complained not only against Moses and Aaron, but against God himself. The Lord God sends quail and bread. Now there are conditions for the gathering of that bread, you understand. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. It is a test of obedience. It is a test of faith. A man named Mike Haynes tells part of his wife's life story. When she was nine, her father died suddenly of a heart attack. Her mother was left with four children under the age of 12. And family and friends wondered how they were going to survive with Social Security, a small life insurance policy, and their faith. Later in her life, Mike's wife, she worked in a doctor's office and there was a patient in that office who had worked with her mother at the time her father died. She struck up a friendship with this woman and often when she came in for an appointment they talked about that long ago tragedy that so drastically altered her life. One day the woman said to her, you know, I'm not a Christian, but if anything would ever cause me to be a Christian, it was this. When your dad died, your mother tithed the insurance money, and I told her, you need that for your children and for yourself. And her answer to me was this. If we do what the Lord says, He'll meet our needs. I say to you today, God continues to meet our needs. He doesn't test us 
to decide whether or not he'll continue to meet our needs. He meets our needs based in who he is, based in himself. He tests us to see what you and I will do with the largesse that he pours into our laps. He wants to know if we'll obey him and if we'll model him in our response to the resources that we've been given. Now you come to an interim time, the time between pastors. What are you going to do? There's ministry to be done here, you know. I tell you, God has not abandoned this community. God has not abandoned this body of believers. God has not taken a vacation from ministry here. And neither must you. You have good leadership. Both professional leadership and lay leadership. Follow them. Now is the time when if we make the effort, we will find God at work in us, around us, and through us as we seek to minister to this community and far, far beyond. God is here now. The question is, what are you going to do? What are you as a church going to do? How are you going to continue and to expand your ministry in this place? What are you personally, individually going to do? There's going to be ample opportunity for many of you to step up and take on roles that you've never filled before. Will you do it? Are you willing? To be sure the interim is a time of transition but it is no excuse to shut ourselves down and wait for the next pastor. It's time to get busy. Busier than ever before. Part of living by faith is recognizing something else that the story teaches us about wilderness times. God often gives us only enough for now. That's not the way we'd have it, is it? We're human beings. We are addicted to security. And if we don't have any real security, a false security will do just as well, thank you, so long as we can have some piece of security. Piling up more than we need, piling up more in some cases than we even want or know what to do with is a security issue. The Israelites were exactly as we are, just like you and me, and they wanted some security. And so when God spread manna on the ground before them, and they were told to take just enough for the day, you know what they did, don't you? They went out and gathered all they could put in their pockets and filled up baskets fulls and hid it in the bed and did everything else because who knows if God will be here tomorrow? Who knows if God can be trusted? Verse 20, which is a little later in the passage, we read this. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. 
they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Ironic, isn't it? That the harder we seek security, the smellier our lives get. The harder we seek security as a church, the smellier our church gets. I call on you to trust God today. His word is true. His promises are fulfilled. We can rely on Him. The story is told of an old rabbi in a Russian town in the mid-1850s. He'd been in that village for a long time. And as he neared the end of his life, he had come to the point where he was extremely contemplative about the greater issues of life. And he considered the status quo relatively unimportant, as was often the case in 19th century Russia. He often came under harassment from the local constable. One morning as he left his house, the constable, just for fun, came to aggravate him. Where are you going? He said. And the old rabbi said, I don't know. It infuriated the constable. He arrested the old man for lying to him. Took him down and in the jail, at the jail, said to him, How dare you insult me? You know as well as I that you've gone to the synagogue at this time every morning for more than 20 years. And as the cell door closed behind him, the old man was heard to mutter, You see, one never knows what will happen next. Ain't it the truth? One never knows what will happen next. I cannot tell you what will happen next in the life of this congregation. I do not know who your next pastor will be. I don't even know who the interim will be. I do not know how long the interim might last. Truth be told, I don't know what will happen in any of our individual lives either. That's in the hands of Almighty God. The thing for us to do is to put our hands to the work that is before us today and to trust the future to the one who is Lord of the future. The good news is God will not abandon us. God has not abandoned us. He is with us day by day. God will not pour on us more than we need. But God can always be counted on to supply our needs at the time that we need supply. The scripture gives us another hopeful word. God gives us the power to live above and beyond our fears. Not all our troubles can be eliminated. I think sometimes 90% of my prayers are, God, 
Help me through this. God, take that away. God, there's trouble on the home front. Sorry, Deb. It just came out wrong. Everybody has trouble. Life is full of problems. We live with limitations and difficulties. All of us. Seldom does God remove us from our troubles. Seldom does He remove our troubles from us. I told you a while ago it was the same for the Israelites as it is for us. Listen, just because the wilderness was difficult, God did not take them out of the wilderness. They still had to walk and work their way to the promised land even when they did not know where they were or where they were going or where the end of the journey might be. What God does for us in the difficulties of our lives is grant us the courage to live above and beyond the difficulties that we face. We often think of courage in terms of soldiers on a battlefield. A couple of years ago was the 100th anniversary, the beginning of World War I. I'm a history major. I confess, I'm a geek. I still read history. I like it. If you don't, I'm sorry. During that year, I spent much of my reading time reading about World War I. And in all the stuff that I read, there was plenty of stories, plenty of examples of great courage on both sides. But listen to me. You can't just think courage in terms of those facing death. John Kennedy wrote it this way. Without belittling the courage with which men have died, we should not forget the courage with which men have lived. Ain't it so? To raise a family in a Christian home requires courage. To be a missionary requires courage. To teach a Sunday school class requires courage. To reach out to others in Jesus' name. To face serious illness with hope. To lose a marriage partner to death and still go on with life and a million other things require courage. And where does that kind of courage come from? It comes from God Almighty above who gives us the courage and the strength to live above and beyond and through the difficulties that we face. But sometimes life deals us such bitter blows that we just want to crawl in a hole and pull the hole in after ourselves. It seems that hope is gone and there's nothing left. There is no hope. It's never so. It's never, ever so. You know the name Thomas A. Edison, the inventor. In 1876, Edison opened a laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. Out of that laboratory came numbers of his famous inventions. The carbon transmitter for the telephone, which means we no longer had to yell at each other like two kids with cans on a string. The phonograph, the incandescent light bulb, 
Then came the night of December 9, 1914. Edison's laboratory caught fire, burned to the ground. Ten buildings. And in 1914, the New York Times estimated the damage at $7 million. As Edison stood there in that cold December night, watching his life's work go up in flames, he called to his son, Charles, go get your mother and bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. What? That's a strange reaction, isn't it? Maybe what he told them at the breakfast table the next day will help us to understand. There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God, he said, we can start anew. How about you? Are you ready for a new start? As a church, individually, I don't know what you're dealing with in your life, but I know this, the God who saw the Israelites through the wilderness will see you and your church through the wilderness. Take hope. Take hope, look up, move forward. Amen. Andy.